when I sit in his seat, then I end up getting frustrated because I can't do it. And so it's the same thing with people. I don't try to correct. I don't I don't teach about sin. I don't preach sin. I don't tell you you're doing wrong. You're doing this. I preach. Get to know him. If you know God, then he's going to do that part. Thank you so much for tuning into the Raw and Real Show, where we talk with real people about their raw and real life stories. This is your host, Miguel Aquino. Welcome to the Ryan Real Podcast. And uh, guys, just thank you again for uh, tuning in with us. And uh, if you'd like to connect with me, you can send me an email at luismedw at gmail.com or you can connect with me through Instagram at michelaquino01. Uh, you can find me there if you have any comments, any questions or anything that you want to share with me. That'll be, uh, that'll be great. Please, uh, if you have an opportunity to share this with your friends and with your family, please go ahead and do so. And um, if you listen to uh, maybe Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any platform that you uh, listen to the podcast, please uh, leave that review there in a positive, we hope a positive one, or uh, anything that you'd like to share. But if you place a review and uh, rate, uh, rate the podcast, that would be very, very great for us. Our guest today, John Matthews, uh, he has been working on the customer service uh, for quite a bit of years, right? Yeah, for long, almost my whole career. <laughs> well, John Matthews. Welcome to the Ryan Real Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you just got married not too long ago, correct? I did. Yes, <laughs> I got okay. married last uh, last May. It's been a year. <laughs> okay, great, great. Um, how many kids do you guys have total? We have three kids. We have a fourteen-year-old, a twelve-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And the fourteen and the twelve are about to uh, have a birthday next week. So it's it's a full house. It's good. <laughs> awesome. So as far as my understanding, you guys are a blended family, correct? We are. Mm -hmm. Yep. I had two and she had one and now we have three. <laughs> and awesome. She's trying to see if they're going to be any more, but we'll wait and see on that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get too quickly to the deep questions, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think having a blended family, it, it, it's, uh, it's pretty challenging. Oh, it is. Yeah. You know, so uh, can you share a little bit, just a, just a little bit of probably some of those challenges that you didn't expect it? Oh, yeah. That they were going to happen. Well, you know, funny, uh, my mentor talked to me a long time ago, and he goes, blended families are a crockpot. And so you have to move slowly. You know, you can't just cook it on high. You have to cook it on slow, and you have to take it. So I remember when we first started dating, I didn't expect my youngest, my daughter, to be so protective of me. So we'd be out. and How old is your daughter? My daughter is eight now. And we started dating. So this is probably she was three or four um, uh, very early on. And so oh, wow. if she saw uh, my wife with me now, she would hold my hand because she wanted to show that she was number one in daddy's heart. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't see that. I never seen that in her before. And then all of a sudden that kind of possessive and protective um, ship from a daughter. So it was just really easing into that and, and, and kind of, you know, making it feel, you know, you're, you're safe. You're it's, it's going to be okay. So not rushing, not being in a hurry. And I think when you do it, when it is a blended family, you have to put that first. If you don't put, the the kids and their understanding their their needs first then it makes the blend a lot more harder you know mm -hmm. sometimes we just focus on what i want and i'm in love and i want to do this and i want to do this and it goes but no it's blended i got to take the whole group with the, on, on the journey with us so it's been very good but it's it's been a journey now they 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 act like regular siblings with each other and they get mad at each other they love on each other they do everything that you would have thought they grew up together their entire time so you wouldn't even know that they're blended most people don't even know when they look at us that it's a blended family <laughs> wow that's i mean that that's amazing but what do you think is uh one of the key points that you can share with us that, that has helped you both 
mm. uh, to create this atmosphere in this great environment at home. You know, not to not to sound cliche, but our foundation literally is God in everything that we do. Um, being that it was our second time around for both of us in marriage, um, I didn't hide any punches. I, you know, was put it out there. I said, hey, look, I told my wife, I said, I love you. I said, but you're not my everything and I'm not your everything. And I go, it sounds harsh and it may sound mean. I said, but it's not mean. I said, I can't be your everything because I'm not adequate enough. And I said, nor are you. And I said, God has to be my everything and he's going to make me the best husband. He's going to make me the best father and he's going to make you the best. I said, so I said, if something were to ever happen to me, you're going to still be okay because God's your everything. And I remember dating on and it was like, you have to risk losing someone, but you have to put that priority first. And so because we've done that, it allows us really to realize that we're always in like this, this, this partnership with God in our marriage. So sometimes when we're not seeing eye to eye or whatever it is, very rarely do we ever correct each other. A lot of times it's, I take it to prayer, take it to God. God does the correcting. He corrects in her sometimes. He corrects in me all the time. <laughs> and, and he does that. And uh, we, we have some things that we prioritize. We call it, I call it porch time. Um, where we go on the front porch and we sit when the kids are in the house and we just share and we just talk. And oftentimes I'll be like, hey, you know what? I was spending time with God and uh, he told me that I need I need to be more cautious of this, this and this. And she goes, oh, yeah, I prayed about that for you like a couple of weeks ago. And I go, wow, I didn't know you guys were having this side conversation. Now I just kind of go with the motion of it. But that's really what we do. And it works the same way in her where I don't usually have to say, hey, I want you to do this. The Holy Spirit does that, and we trust that relationship that much. That's really has been what is set apart our, our our relationship, and it goes not just for the two of us, but it really goes for the kids on knowing what's going on with them. When do I need to? Hey, you know what? I, I probably should take this weekend and spend time with the kids, or I need to take one of the one of the kids by themselves one on one. It's really you know letting God partner with the relationship because He knows everything behind the scenes. So it sounds like you both are very intentional when it comes down to the kids. Oh, yes. Extremely intentional. Right. <laughs> Because, you know, it's, it's the two of us, but they have their their other parents as well. And so, you know, when they kind of go between different houses and different things, we have to make sure that there's a level of, uh, of stability through all of that. And, you know, I always talk I'm I'm a big proponent because the kids didn't ask for any of this. Um, and so I'm very protective of that to make sure that, Hey, you guys didn't ask for this. So I'm going to make sure that you guys are always taken care of that. No matter what, you know, you, you're a top priority. Your, your, your feelings matter. What's going on with you. We're invested in you. You guys are not, you know, and, and by setting that tone, it really affects all the households that are, that are in part with us. So. It's been good. It's not easy by any chance. Um, you know, pray every week is a, is a new challenge, but by and large, I feel confident in it because God has us. But yeah, it, it's, it has its bumps and bruises like everything does. But um, I think that when you put God first, then he, he makes a great testimony out of everything that comes forward. Great. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, you were describing some of that porch time that you have with your wife. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of like caught my attention because I'm thinking like, okay, what is that porch time? for me and my wife. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a safe place, safe environment, uh, just between you two, where you have that time to talk about everything, pretty much. Absolutely. It's the quiet time. It's, hey, nothing else matters right now. There's no TV. There's no cell phones. It's just us. And, you know, I, I turn on the sprinklers usually because I like to watch the water go. And it's just this calming. And we'll be out there for maybe two, three hours um, wow. and just talking until 
it's done and it's like a decompressing it keeps us aligned it keeps us on the same page um because you know sometimes you can get busy during out the week and going and coming and picking up kids and taking them to soccer practice and doing all those different things that it's just you know we'll kind of give you hey tonight's porch time night and we sacrifice everything i know we're not gonna watch tv tonight we're not gonna binge watch a movie we're not gonna do anything else we're just gonna spend time with each other and sit there and it was something that we didn't even plan originally it just right, became right. a thing mm. and it goes i really enjoyed that that felt really good that felt really therapeutic um we may talk about what god's talking to us individually about mm-hmm. um or i'll have a thought and sometimes i'm working you know when i'm working on a message um i don't prepare a message it's usually comes out of my devotional time and so because you 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 also preach correct? i also preach just at the church okay. <laughs> so um when i'm working on somebody it'd be a devotion and i'll have this thought that i've been wrestling with god with and i'll share it with her and i'm like hey god show me this today what do you think about this what do you and it brings her on that same page so that way we're both growing at the same rate because a lot of times sometimes especially if you're in ministry and one spouse is in ministry and the other spouse is in a supportive role, sometimes you end up growing at different clips because you're not feeding the same way. Mm-hmm. So one person's eating, 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 and the other person's starving. And you have to, when you're a family, you got to make sure that everybody's eating at the same rate. Right. Um, we're going to sh- change the gears here okay. a little bit, okay? <laughs> so thank you for all of that blended family, you know, thing. Yeah. I didn't really want to start so deeply into it, but I'm <laughs> like, hey, you know what? I think we're just going to go with it. <laughs> You know, the first, my first question was going to be, how has your summer been for this year uh, comparing with the uh, last year? Well, last year, my summer is a little lighter than last year. Last year was busy. <laughs> um, it, it feels like with everything that happened in 2020, it seemed like everybody else was quarantined, but I wasn't. <laughs> so we were still going and we were going in, in, in uh, hyperspeed. And I just told one of my coworkers, I go, man, we're already at June. I go, it feels like I just came off the end of the year. <laughs> right. And six months has blown by. But so far, it's been good. I got to go to, to Texas to um, kick off the, the summer for me. Um, that's my, my safe place. I like it. I'm from California, but I just... <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm an adopted Texan. I I say I got my cowboy boots and I got to go to the rodeo. I see the, cow- I see the cowboy collar shirt cowboy that you have right there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Everything is always cowboys for me. Awesome. But, um, yeah, it was really really therapeutic to go out there and um, get some time away. And now I feel refreshed. I feel good and ready for the summer. Summer is my last kind of quiet time because then the fall and the winter is my busiest time getting ready for the holidays around the church and everything. <laughs> right, right. So I know you are a man a leader mm-hmm. a leader that leads many people around how many people or how big is the group that you lead that's including everyone well, and describe a little bit of what you do if you can okay well at the church i'm over what they call assimilation and services um so really helping people get plugged into the church is the assimilation side of it so everything from the greeting visitors how they get plugged in how they grow in their discipleship you know how they, where they serve all that. And then the services side is everything that really goes into making a worship experience from the the music, the production, um, everything that you see, lights, camera, action kind of thing. So um, in the office, I probably have a team of about 20 to 30 that I oversee. I'm on staff um, from a volunteer base. I don't know. It used to be like uh, I probably had about seven, eight hundred volunteers that I oversaw. Um, now, since since COVID, it's a little different. They're a little lighter. Um, but then really like intimately, I only have 12 that are in my immediate circle. So my sphere of influence may be big, but who I actually do life with is really relatively small. And I keep that because, um, that's really where the accountability comes in. So there's, there's different levels and there's different things that I'm responsible for, but 
the more I do life with the, the, the 12 people that I do life with and pour into them, they help me with the whole, the whole thing. Cause God doesn't call us to do it by ourselves and try to carry everything. And God, I would fail if I tried. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, leading about 800 people, I mean, let's say close to a thousand rounding up, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand uh, people that are, that you are over, uh, can be stressful at times. Very Especially much. when things are not going the way we plan, not the way we want to, but maybe <laughs> more in the way of like, okay, we plan this to go this way, but wait, I mean, it's going left instead of going right. Absolutely. Last year was a big challenge because you, I, I wasn't seeing people on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of text messages, a lot of social media and all these different things. But that's not how I normally communicate. Um, on a regular basis, I'm, I'm a in face kind of person. I, right. I see you. I, I'll touch base with you. I'll hug you. I'll give you a, a high five or whatever. So it, it was really stretching. But I was like, I don't like doing life this way. I miss <laughs> the context um, with people. And so now that things are are kind of getting back to normal, that's where I'm in kind of recon mode of going through the list. Okay, I haven't seen this face or haven't as many. Where's this person at? Are they okay? And mm. and and doing that and really just trusting God to remind me of like, okay, who am I missing out on right now? Um, but that's it's fun. I, I enjoy that part. Yeah. Thank you. So now let's say you are in front of these thousand people that you lead. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I don't want to be so dramatic, but <laughs> let, let's say there is kind of like probably the last thing that you will tell them or the first thing and last thing that you will tell them, um, what would that be? Because I, I know your background, you, you come from a uh, customer service, mm -hmm. uh, you are uh, coming from the uh, hotel industry. You know, and uh, later on, you know, I mean, you, you're going to describe a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. how does that look like. What will you tell these thousand people that you are the lead, you are the leader of? Really, I just try to be transparent. I don't I don't overvalue myself. I I'm a normal guy. I approach it like that. I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy who loves people and loves God um, and, and that simplicity of it. I don't have all the answers. I don't try to have all the answers. I just, I always tell them, I said, I know my story. That's all I know. I know what God has done for me. And, you know, hopefully you're blessed by that. But, you know, I know he doesn't love me more than you. So I'll walk with you and, and introduce you to him. But really, that's what I look at it more as of, of just a partnership. And so it's very freeing for me where I'm able to have fun with people and I get to be silly and, and laugh and joke and, and all those things. But I don't try anything that that's really that foreign to me. I don't try to, I don't go into it thinking I'm leading all these people. I just mm -hmm. look at, we're all friends, we're all family. And so, you know, Hey, I may have the answer. I may not, but at the end of the day, I know somebody who does. <laughs> and that's right. really what I kind of, kind of go with. And then I just share from what, what's on my heart at the moment. And I never know. It's funny. Sometimes people go, oh, wow, that blessed me so much. And I didn't think of anything of it. I just like, oh, I was just sharing you a story that God put on my heart, but right. he knows what somebody needs to hear. And so I just, I'd really trust on that. Exactly. So what would you tell those leaders that are probably over stress? Relax. <laughs> <laughs> I, say you're, I would probably say you're probably in the wrong seat. You're probably in God's seat. Because mm. when you're in God's seat, it's very stressful because the weight's heavy. My seat has its own weight, but it's not a stressful seat. It's a it's a it's a adequate seat. So if you're finding yourself overstressed, you may be trying to be God for too many people. And that's what kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with, with me and my wife. I don't try to be the Holy Spirit in her life. Mm. He's the one who's going to guide her, change her, correct her, mold her, not her husband. When I sit in his seat, then I end up getting frustrated. 
because I can't do it. And so it's the same thing with people. I don't try to correct. I don't I don't teach about sin. I don't preach sin. I don't tell you you're doing wrong. You're doing this. I preach. Get to know him. If you know God, then he's going to do that part. And I'm going to, you know, if you ask me a direct question, then I'll give you a direct answer. And sometimes people ask me things that are my opinion. I say, all right, you want my opinion or do you want what God says? If you want what God says, you're going to have to go and pray. If you want my opinion, then here's my opinion on it. But that's just my two cents. Right. Um, and that's no worth. That's not worth anybody else's. <laughs> right. Right. Pastor John, can you talk to us a little bit about how your life used to look on the secular world when you worked many years Uh-huh. on that hotel industry and, uh, you know, just uh, focus on, on customer service. And um, at the end of whatever you're going to share right now, I would like for you to say something or share something uh, to us that are probably stepping into that role of customer service, learning uh, what would be some of the key points that that we need to learn when it comes down to serving people. Uh-huh. Well, it's funny because I didn't go into it knowing. I mean, I got into... Um, customer service right off the right out of when I got out back from school um, and I got into property management. I was doing high end um, uh, apartment leasing. And then from there, I transitioned into the hospitality industry. It's a hotel business and made it to the top of both of my fields as a general manager and um, regionals and, and things of that nature. Um, the biggest thing was I've always just treated people how I would want to be treated. And I am particular. I know I, I love good service. I love being sold. When you go to a store, I like you to sell me. I want you to tell me all the things. I like you to just do it. So that's the approach that I do. And it's I never looked, even when I was in sales, I never looked at it as selling a product. I looked at it as getting and matching people with what their desire is. So when people would come to my apartment building, they, they're looking for a place. So I'm not selling you something you don't need. You already are telling me that you need a place to live. Now it's my job just to listen to you and then I'm going to match. When I was in the hotel business, it was a little it was the same thing, but it was just really listening to people and seeing what they liked. And really, when you spend quality time with people, even though they're transient and they're coming and going, That quality time, I would know if, okay, Miguel, you come to my hotel and you're here once a month. Well, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to know that, hey, he likes a Coke. He likes a Snicker bar. And it was those little things that makes the difference in people's life that they go, oh, wow, somebody actually paid attention. I can stay anywhere. I can stay in the world. But when I come to this hotel, this guy remembers me out of all the thousands. And they, you know, when we're in the hotel business, we have ways of cheating and doing that. Now, right, right, the right. computer system. But a lot of it really wasn't even cheating. It was just I got to know people. Mm. I know you're amazed what your brain can do if you really test it, if you want to. Mm. And if you're being sincere, what you can remember and you see people and you become, you know, these little mini families. And I think that was the secret. The other part of it was what led to my success. That was never I never viewed at it, viewed my job as the end all. So I didn't hold on to it really hard. So I was always when I would go to a hotel and I was Um, always brought in to kind of get hotels fixed. I would go into bad hotels and get them turned around to make them um, profitable again. That was my kind can of you, thing. Can, can, can I stop you there for a yeah. moment? And can you describe a bad hotel? A bad hotel. So when you are part of a nationally branded hotel, whether it be uh, Hilton, Marriott, whatever, any of the big name hotels, they have a brand standard. They have quality control. They have different things. Hotels are rated, and if they stay underneath that quality for a certain amount of time, they risk getting this letter from the from the franchise saying you're no longer going to be allowed to be 
a Marriott or you're no longer going to be allowed to be a Hilton unless you get the customer service turned around and your revenue turned around and the way this hotel looks turned around. So that's that's they call it being in a red zone. Mm. Um, and so that was my specialty was wow. taking a red zone hotel and getting it out of the red zone. Um, and it, it's a sort I, I enjoyed it because I like the challenge. Um, and the, the secret of it is it's always easy to go to a red zone hotel because you got nowhere to go but up. <laughs> but you, you, you handle a perfect property and then, man, all I have work to go is down. So <laughs> it's like, I'm going to have more job security by doing this. But um, I would walk into those hotels and it was all about helping people to establish culture, you know, getting in their mindset and seeing the staff that, you know, it's funny when you go into a bad hotel, it's like a stench um, in the staff because their their uh, their mindset has really been affected and they don't know how to get out of their own mind. They just they look at the hotel bad. They think it's bad. They don't like where they go to work at. And so it's like really reinstilling um, who they are and giving them an identity all over again. So it was really, it's very biblical. And it, <laughs> you can, I can see on the hindsight how it set me up for ministry. But back then, that's what I would do. I'd go in and a lot of times I'd go to the hotel even before I would start. I would go and scope out the hotel so I would see what all the issues were. And then when I would come on the first day, you'd see all these eyes. I recognize that guy. He was here two weeks ago looking out. And then um, I would always tell them, I said, today's my first day. And I would give them the the pep talk of what we're about to do. But then I would also tell them I'm, more, I'm looking for my replacement. I would tell them I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be here for X amount of years. And hopefully I'm going to be handing this over to one of you at that time. And as I go on to other things and having that mentality is really always healthy because it allows you to teach people when it, it lets them grow and reach for something. They go, really? He doesn't want to do it because a lot of GMs, that's their end all. They, they find their identity in their role. But my identity wasn't in my role. My identity was outside of that. So it was easy for you to teach everything that I knew. I'm like, here, I'm going to show you how this report works. Do you say you want to do this? And some people were there for life and some people were there just passing through. And it was OK. There's something for everybody to get. And it was just this, these little families that I would build at the hotels. And, and I want to stop into that. You said something very key and important right now. You said identity. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, is, that was you. That was your identity. Yeah. You were not really focusing on the title. Or, or yeah. the things, I mean, yes, obviously the things you got to do, but not really focusing on the title, you were focusing more on the identity. So do you really think that these people uh, will probably uh, lost uh, probably from their identity? Absolutely. A lot of people don't have, they don't know who they are. And so they, they put it in things. They put it in relationships. They put it in job titles, job positions. And so that's why they, they grasp hold of it with like a death choke and when they lose it or the title goes away, then their whole world d disappears because they felt that they were that person. Well, who am I if I'm not the general manager? And I'm like, I'm still John. <laughs> I'm still John, whether I'm the general manager or not. I remember it was the hardest thing for me to wear a name badge because I don't like wearing name badges. Right. I want you to just to get to know me because my name badge. Oh, there's the manager. Oh, that's the and they put on air. When you just think I'm a regular guy walking through the hotel, right, I right. can actually find out what you really think mm. <laughs> before that. And and I was just gonna tap into that because I'm I'm, I'm thinking through. Let's say you know big this big corporation. Um, I have a lot of friends that they work, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, under a lot of different bosses. Yeah. And uh, what can you what can you share, you know, that you're being on that high role position? What can you share to that leader that probably people are thinking there are? I, I don't want to use the, this word below them, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't find out any better word to describe yeah. it. Uh, but these leaders, these managers, uh, 
store managers, whatever, but they have this big title and then people look at them and they're like, oh man, uh, there he comes. Mm-hmm. You know of that coming. Oh, yeah. there he comes. What is he here for? What is he going to change? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he looking into me? Is he looking like into all the little details that we are doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Right. What can you share to that person that they probably need to start building on mm-hmm. before they start uh, maybe pointing out what people are doing wrong? Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. I would say spend time with people. Um, you know, my method at, at a hotel, every single time I didn't change the recipe, I'd spend a week in every department. And I wouldn't spend a week in the department standing on the sideline watching it. I'd spend a week in the department doing the job. So, you know, when I would go in, here I am in my suit and I come in, I, I'll have a, a different shirt on. And I go in the laundry room and I'm folding sheets with the ladies and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I want to know how, how, you, how do you do this? You show me, you teach me, how do you fold? And they show me, oh, this, that. And I'm like, oh, is this the best? Is this fast? I, I asked them all kinds of questions. What do you need? Is, is this the best way? Is this is the equipment old? Is it? And that's usually when you find out what they're up against, what they're dealing with. And, and, um, and you can make a better decision that way. Um, and you have a lot more buy-in because they've seen you do it. I didn't do it just one day. I'm going to do it for a whole week. They expect a manager maybe to do it one day for like five minutes and then go on to what they got to do. Right. Um, but when you you sit there with a week and you do lunch and you you sit there and I would have lunch with them and I'd be over there and they'd talk and I'd list, I'd learn all their names and I remember their names and those kind of things. It would get an amazing buy-in because it was sincere. It was sincere. And then I'd go and spend with the housekeepers and I'd go clean some rooms. And they're like, you know, they'd usually chase me out of there. They're like, we don't want you cleaning rooms anymore (laughs) because I make a mess. (laughs) They'd have to come back behind me. But then when I would have to roll something out, then I would use that experience. Hey, you know, I remember one of the big changes that we did um, when I was at the hotel and it was a a monumental one. We changed the way that they cleaned rooms um, and the number of rooms that they would do. So an average at that time, ladies would get um, probably about... I think it was like 16 to 18 rooms um, a day to clean. Um, and they would get approximately like 26 to 28 minutes a room to clean them. And um, we're like, wow, how can we get a little bit more efficient? Well, then I remember being out there with them. I go, hey, guys, you know, when you clean a room, when somebody's staying over and they're not checking out, it doesn't take 28 minutes, does it? And they're like, no, no, it doesn't. It's like 10 minutes. Oh, oh, Yeah. And I go, and then sometimes when they do check out, it takes a lot longer and this, that, and the other. And they go, yeah, sometimes. Though. So I said, what if we had days where you came in and you only clean rooms that checked out and you had maybe a few less, but you did only checkouts. And then the days, other days, I give you twice as many, but you're doing only rooms that are staying over and they're only 10 minutes. And they're like, oh, yeah. So everybody was fighting over the rooms to stay over. They're cleaning like 30 rooms now a day and they're doing it. And it was helping on our time. It was helping on our labor, but our cost. Of, but they bought in because they knew that I had done it with them. Right. And so it was a conversation. Another one of our hotel in our same group, they just rolled it out as a policy and they almost had a strike on their hands. Yeah. The housekeeper was like, what are you talking about? We got clean 30 rooms. They got I don't know how they served us up at that hotel, but it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were like, how did you get it over? I said, I just talked to the ladies. I said, I, it, was, it was almost like it was their idea by the time we finished right, talking about right. it. And I go, but it was because the only reason I bought into it wasn't to harm them. It was, hey, this could be a win-win. Here's the benefit for you. Here's the benefit for me. I think a lot of managers go into things and they only think of it one-sided. Mm. They think of it through the lens of what do I want? Mm. And then they just try to cram something down somebody or, or talk them into it versus 
if you truly understand what the benefit is for them, then you can you can serve it up. But you will only know what the benefit for them is if you've been in their shoes a little what, bit. What kind of harm do you think that can make when there's a selfish motive behind the decision when it comes down to a manager? You're, you'll have a high turnover all the time. You'll constantly have new people coming all the time. They're not going to stay with you. They're not going to be loyal to you. They're going to there's no trust involved. So if you if you want to see a high turnover rate, which there is, and you know, especially right now, the job market is wide open. Yes. Um, and it's extremely competitive. I found that in in my years of working, it wasn't what I could pay that made the difference. It was how I treated my team. Mm. I I didn't pay very much more than any other hotel or anything else, but and because I wasn't in control of that. Um, but I was in control in, oh, I know your name. I know your your family. I know what what you like. I remember when your birthday is. I remember, those are the I know what you want to do for career. And I was it was a safe place where you could, you could tell me that I don't feel like I'm going to be in the hotel business for the rest of my life. And I go, really? Who ever plans on being in the hotel business for the rest of their <laughs> life? So I wouldn't act like it was like a, the end all. And then I'd invest in them. So I remember having people at the front desk. They wanted to be nurses and they wanted to do this. And I would try to give them things that would help them in the future that would benefit their true career and just enjoy the time that I had with them. Um, and people ended up staying longer than they ever thought they would because it became very much a family versus just this is the place I, I go to work. And looking at it that most people don't realize you're at work just almost as much time as you are with your family. Correct. And it should be an enjoyable place. If it's not, as a manager, you're the only one who, who can change that. If you're coming in every day stressed, I, I refuse to do the same thing every day and be stressed out about it. That's just a horrible life. So either I got to find another job or I got to figure out how to make this place better. <laughs> right. You know, Pastor, uh, thank you. Um, we'll be talking about building relationships. We'll be talking about uh, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, mm -hmm. um, hearing their opinions, hearing their, their troubles. Uh, what can a victory look like in a way when it comes down to like rolling out probably some uh, new ways of doing things? Uh, but I'd like to ask you, can you please describe the word excellence for you? What, what does that word excellence means for, for you? Something that I'm proud to have my name on it, that it represents the best of me. When I think of excellence, it's the, it's, it's, I stand and, and back and I'm, I'm proud of it. Hey, I did this. Or I produced this. That's that's excellence to me. I remember the way we were raised as kids. It was having pride in everything that you did. You know, my mom was always strict as far as saying things like that. Like this has your name on it. Your name should mean something. And as a kid, you don't really kind of maybe recognize what they're saying. But as an adult, man, I, I see it because it goes, oh, wow. When somebody sees something that I've done, they know that I had my hand in it so much so that, you know, they can see a program. They can see something they're like, oh. Yeah, John, that I can tell John's work. Man, that 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 makes me feel that that's excellence because they come to to understand what what quality was. There are people that I know when their hand is on something. I can I can see, you know, wow. I can hear it, I can see it, I can taste it. You know who who worked on it. You know, you can see it a lot in music sometimes where I can listen to a song and I'm like, "Hey, that sounds like a song that such and such would have wrote." Look in the credits. Oh yeah, there they are. Why? Because they have such a high standard of excellence and and that it becomes known as them. Um and I think that we can do that in everything that we do and there's just sometimes there's a lack of pride in in what we do and in serving it up that we're only going to do what's expected of us, but excellence is having your own standard that surpasses what's expected. Um, it goes beyond uh, what people are expecting to get and you give them and you wow them in those moments. 
Right. Um, now I'd like to shift the gears <laughs> okay. to the two questions uh, about the Raw and Real podcast. Mm-hmm. How do you describe success or what does success looks like for you? Hmm. That, that has changed for me over the years. How I would describe it right now is having peace and contentment. Success is being able to be at peace and being content. Where you're at before, success would have been my accomplishments or tied maybe monetarily or materialistic. And it's as I've gotten older, it's really not that because I've achieved a lot of those things and didn't have peace or didn't have that contentment. Um, Now I have that. And so I feel successful every day because I go to sleep at night. I'm at peace. And it's not because I'm making all the money in the world. I'm at peace because I know I'm doing exactly what I'm called to do, and it's walking in purpose. So for me, that is success. And when you when you find your purpose and you know that you're doing what God puts you on this earth to do, and you find that peace, that that to me is success. Great answer. Great answer. I want you to take us back to a moment of your life where you were probably maybe 20, 15, 20, maybe 30 years younger. Okay. Okay. And I want you to picture yourself coming out of somewhere or walking into somewhere and just kind of like grab yourself from the arm and be like, hey, little John, mm-hmm. um, let me tell you this. What piece of advice would that be that you would tell little John and the reason why? I would tell him to be real with himself. Um, early on in life, you don't know who you are. (laughs) You're trying to figure it out. And you're almost like Goldilocks. You're going in and you're trying all these different things on to see which one fits. How old is little John? John, I was probably 21, 22 years old. (laughs) Right. Um, And I remember going out there and and wanting to do it. And so um, I remember getting in the corporate environment and the people that I looked to, I was like, oh, they were, I called them sharks. And I'm like, oh, I like that. And I want to do that. And, but it, I, you try it on and like, well, I don't really want to treat people like this. And I see some benefit to it, but there was all these this, well, this emulations. Well, I, I'm probably going to be stopping you here and there yeah. when, when I hear something that gets my, 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 my mind. And I wanted to ask you, what, what were some of those things that you were looking at? People like, oh man, that looks, that looks cool. I want to do that. Yeah. I remember what were some of those things. First getting it when I was in uh, property management and it was a high end property management and everything was material based. Um, success was was defined by how much money you made, if you got the big corporate salary, um, if you got the huge bonus. And so to get that, you looked at the people who had it and the people who had it were movers and shakers. And so they dressed a certain part. They had the the Brooks Brothers suit, the tie, the briefcase, the everything. They talked fast. They moved fast. They almost like they had no feelings. And it was like, oh, okay, they have the cocktail after work. You go out for happy hour. You do all these things. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that's what it takes to get there. And so I started doing things in that in that vein. And it becomes very shallow, becomes very hollow because it wasn't really who I was. I was just playing a part. I was playing a role. And, you know, you get the success, you get there. And because there is some natural things that, yeah, you you know how to make business deals. But then once you get them, then it goes, now what? I remember the, the day of the week that I would circle on my calendar is Sunday nights, because that was the loneliest night in my life. I had a, a penthouse apartment in downtown LA. I had um, all the money that I could spend in, in, in a lifetime. And Sunday nights, because Sunday night was the time when people were with family. They're with their loved ones and with their and I'm sitting in an empty penthouse apartment by myself, you know, nothing to do. And I go, this is this lonely and you can't fill it with anything. And so I go, 
I don't think I I bought the right program. I don't think I did this quite the right way. Friday night, yeah, you're partying. Saturday night, everybody's partying. It's a good time. But Sunday night was that night of just being real. And those are the nights that I remembered. And I said, all right, God, I don't want to feel this because there has to be something more. And then I started letting him kind of retrain my identity of who it was. And, you know, there's there's a there was some truth in that role, but it wasn't my absolute truth. Yes, I, I can be shrewd and I can make business deals. God gave me that that intellect to do it. But it's it's a tool. It's not who I was. And so it's learning how to put that tool back in its right place and go, there's a time when I'm doing certain things in business, but the ultimate, it's walking my purpose. And God, my purpose is really to impact people. And then when I tied, tied in that, I didn't, I didn't even think I liked customer service for the longest, but you realize that that's my purpose because God made me to interact with other people. And so when I tapped into purpose, then all of a sudden I'm getting these great results from customer service, not because I'm an expert in customer service, but it's just because I'm treating people how I would want to be treated. I'm treating people like, okay, like a shepherd would treat a sheep. Oh, I care about you. I do this. I do. It doesn't mean that I'm a pushover. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that, man, I'm going to do what's best for the flock at all times. And that's the kind of heart that God was working through me in those times. So if I can go back and talk to him, it would be to kind of see that a little sooner um, and save a little bit of heartbreak, save a little bit of heartache that was there and probably take better care of my money at that time, too. <laughs> <laughs> What were some of the hurts that little John was going through mm. during that season? A lot of it had to do around the identity. It had to do with, you know, I was, uh, my, my dad passed away when I was 11. Um, so I was raised by my mom. And um, so it was, there was not a model. They were both pastors. At that time, I didn't want to pastor at all. Um, and so it was. So were you, were, were you born and raised into like Christianity? And I was, yeah. My parents started pastoring when I was one years old. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was born into the church. Um, I won't say I was born Christian because no one is. Right. Um, I probably. Can you explain to, that so we can understand, you know, the audience can understand what does that really mean? Yeah. So, you know, I was raised in going to church. So I would go to church. I would do all the, the necessary steps, but. I wasn't talking to God and I wasn't hearing from God for myself. It was religion at the time for me. It was real for my parents, but it was religion for me. It wasn't until I went away to school that God started talking to me directly. And I really count that as my, my date where, okay, God, you became real to me. And now I know this is not my parents thing. This is now my thing. This is now my relationship with you. That's where it became real. And sometimes you have to let your kids go through that. You know, if you were to ask me back then, are you saved? Oh yeah, I'm saved because It was just the thing to do. I'm mm -hmm, going to church right. and everybody says it. But it was very much in a box. It was very much on the shelf. And there was no um, life to it in me. It was my moral compass, but it wasn't alive yet. It wasn't real. It was like, okay, you know, if, if you could you could introduce something to me at that time, and I probably would have bit into it hook, line, and sinker um, because I didn't know the voice of God yet. I didn't know that God could talk to us. I thought it was just reading a book and doing the best and trying to be a good person. <laughs> so you touch base on uh, religion, right? Mm -hmm. And you said that for your parents, God was real, but mm -hmm. for you, it was more kind of following a religion. Yeah. Can you describe, I mean, I'm going to go a little deeper there. Can you describe a little bit of what religion looks like instead of like having a relationship with him? Religion is doing the same thing over and over again without any anything behind it, doing it because you're supposed to do it. So I'm supposed to go to church on Sunday morning. 
Um, I don't get anything out of it, but I show up every Sunday morning. I try to stay awake through the message and then I go home. <laughs> that, that That's religion. Or, you know what, I'm going to take communion and I'm going to do it. I don't know what it means for anything, but you're supposed to do it and you can't explain it. And I think that's where like a generation now of kids were like, they didn't ever get their why. And they didn't ever got their, why do we do this? And so then they stopped doing it. And then they didn't pass it down because they never understood why they were doing it. And I think we do a disservice when we let people stay there without understanding why they're doing something, without talking about the relationship. So that's why, you know, as I pastor and, and do things, I try to always whet people's appetite to say, hey, this is what I have. I have this amazing relationship. So hopefully it goes do I have that? I want that. How do I get that? To create that hunger that goes, if you're just coming to church, if I always talk, oh yeah, I go to church. I don't ever tell anybody. I just go to church. Um, I'll tell you, I was like, oh no, man, I, I, I have a relationship with God and he's awesome to me. I'll, you'll hear me talk, say something like that. And they're like, how do you have a relationship with God? Isn't he this? It, it's a lot more. I go to church. Oh yeah, I go to church too. I go to this church. I go to, I go to the Buddhist temple. I go to the, the, the whatever. That's what going to church is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, just a checkbox, but having a relationship that requires, well, who are you in relationship with? Right. Right. Now about keeping the real, talk about keeping the real and, uh, you know, to describe a little bit for you what religion and uh, relationship with God looks like. Um, one of the things that I have personally encountered, you know, with uh, people that are probably as new attending church, is kind of like they avoid asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I think asking questions should be very healthy, even that you're thinking that you're asking the wrong questions. Right. <laughs> Does that make any sense? It, it makes 100%. A lot of people don't ask questions because they think that they're the only one who has the question. They think that they're the only one who doesn't know what's going on and no one wants to ever reveal how much they don't know. Right. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've have, I have met many people that are probably there, you know, maybe a couple months in, you know, going to church, mm -hmm. but they just fall into just going to church. Yeah. That ritualism of like going to church and uh, praying. But when it comes down to like you asking them a question, hey, why you why why do you do that? Mm -hmm. They don't even know. Right. They don't even know why, you know, like they pray. They don't even know uh because I had the question sometime I, I as as people ask me the question I'm like, well, how do you pray? Mm -hmm. I'm like, just say whatever you gotta say. Just, <laughs> right, just, just talk, to, talk God. to God. You know, exactly. just, just talk to him. The the same way that you're telling me your problems, you can <laughs> just talk to him tell the him <laughs> the same the same way. So um as a pastor, what can you tell us that we are probably sitting, that we're probably sitting and listening to one of your messages, and I have a question. Mm -hmm. You know, I can ask you there because obviously, uh, you know, there's thousands of people, maybe hundreds of people there. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I can raise my, my, my hand and be like, hey, I have a question about whatever right. you just said right <laughs> now. But, but what, what can you say to that individual that have some questions mm -hmm. about, you know, things when it comes down to like religion, quote unquote, yeah. or when it comes down to relationship with God? What I would tell them is get involved. Um, that's the best way. I tell people, I said, I can't pastor you over the pulpit. It, I, I can preach a sermon over the pulpit. I can't pastor you. Pastor you means that we're doing life together in some form. Where you're going to get that level of relationship is by either serving alongside me, um, being in a in, in, in a smaller environment, a smaller setting. Um, for me, like I said, you, you asked how many people I oversee. I can't do it on a Sunday morning. You got 600 people. Everybody can't get you know five minutes of my time. I'll, I'll, I'll burn myself out. 
the people that get my time is those that are, are where I'm at when I'm doing something. So, you know, whether it's, hey, I'm, you know, I go up to the, we have a ranch up in Arrowhead. Sometimes I'm up there and we're serving alongside of each other. And you're asking me questions while we're moving, you know, um, some boulders or we're doing this, or maybe I'm down and we're folding tables or we're doing, we're doing something and it opens up the conversation um, that allows to happen. Or it's, you know, hey, you know, let's go to lunch or let's, let's talk or whatever. You got to kind of press in. Um, the person who wants it is going to be the one who gets it. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to play um, the piano really good. There's a, we had a new piano player come to the church and he played amazing. And um, I asked him, will you teach me? And he goes, no, I don't teach lessons. And I'm like, what the heck, man? I was like, <laughs> I thought he's going to, you expect him to say right. yes. And so I didn't just tuck my tail and go home every day, you know, every Sunday I would see him. I'd stand right by the side of the piano and I'd watch his hands. And as soon as he would get off the piano, I'd sit down and I'd try to copy what I just saw from mm. him. I kept doing that week after week after week. About maybe two or three months goes by and he finally smacks me. He goes, scoot over. This is how you do it. And I, <laughs> I forced him to teach me right. by putting, you have what I want. And so if you have what I want, I'm going to get it one way or another. Either you're going to give it to me or I'm going to take it. But I'm gonna, you're not right. going to deny what I'm wanting if you want it bad enough. You know, some a lot of kids would have been like, oh, he's not going to teach lessons. So I go home and no one wants to teach me and you have a pity party. I wasn't that way. I'm like, no, you're going to I'm going to put this demand on you and I'm going to just if I, if you won't teach me, then I'm just going to watch you. And I, I wish we had cell phones back then because I probably would have <laughs> recorded it. Um, but that's how I ended up getting. It. Now I can play the piano. <laughs> so it's one of those kind of things that you have to do the same thing with God. Man, God, I want this. So one, you don't have to rely on a person, but right. you can at the same time. If you if somebody's there, how do I, how do I do it? You know, ask your your pastor. Hey, wh- where's the best time? Not what's convenient for you. It's what's con- what's con- hey, where are you going to be at? So if I tell people, hey, you know what? I'm milking goats at eight o'clock in the morning at the church. Right. <laughs> you want to come get? Hey, you're going to have my undivided attention for twenty minutes while I'm. Oh, I don't want to milk a goat. Well, hey, that's, that's where <laughs> I'm at. So I don't. I don't know what to tell you. you this is where I'm going to be at. But that's just for me. You know, uh, Pastor Aaron or somebody else. They go jogging. I don't go jog. So <laughs> that's what he does. It's just yeah. it's, go and get what you want from that person, but meet them where they're at. Right. Thank you. So now, little John, keep it real. Yeah. Keep it real with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be all right. Yep. Just be real with yourself. Now, thank you for all the time and all the uh, nuggets you have uh, given us through the conversation that we are having right now. So I would like for you to introduce yourself, introduce who myself. you are, what do you do, uh, talk about your family. So do some free time. For us to get to know who you are. You know, it's funny that you asked me this question on any other week. It would have been, I don't know what I would have said. This week, I've been I've been really doing, my wife got surprised me. She got me a, um, a DNA kit for Ancestry.com. Oh, wow. Um, for, <laughs> okay. for Father's Day. Um, so I've been digging through my family roots. I got really far back, find out all kind of information. And it was really because I teach a class on identity too. Um, you know, in the natural, I was... Born to two loving parents um, in Inglewood, California. Um, and we had a, my mom's from Louisiana. My dad's from Minnesota um, and grew up as a, as a regular everyday black kid in Inglewood. Um, and my dad passed away when I was 11 um, in ministry. Um, my mom raised me from the then on. I went into Bible college, came back, worked in corporate America for several years, and then ended up back in full-time ministry. Um, and so all, I say all that to say is, I'm this blend. And for so long, I didn't know where I fit in. You know, I didn't 
ever, I didn't feel like I fit in in church because I didn't like it. It didn't seem like I liked it. Um, I didn't fit in in corporate world. I was good at it, but it didn't feel like a natural fit. So it, it caused this kind of just always a hunger for more. And um, you didn't fit in with this setting because I went to a, when I was a kid, I went to an all white school for like the first four years. Then I went to an all black school for like the next um, six years after that. Then it was mixed half Hispanic, half black. I grew up. My wife is Hispanic. It's, it's, it's this whole blend. I go end up in Oklahoma and there's nobody that looks like me in Oklahoma. <laughs> and so it, it causes you to say, well, God, who really am I? What what makes it up? And then, you know, we have years like last year, 2020, where everybody's picking sides and all this division comes up. Um, and so then I'm, I'm looking through my my ancestry and I, I see that I have both a, a grandparent who is a slave owner and I have a grandparent who's a slave in the same family. I'm like, who am I? What am I? Am I a victim? Am I the oppressor? Am I this? And what it really comes down to is, you know what, God, I'm I'm who you created me to be. I'm just John. I'm just a, a, a guy who loves his God and I love people. And that's really all I am. And I said, it's very freeing when I put it that way, because that way no one ever has to think anything higher of me than I am. You can't put anything on me that I, that God doesn't put on me. You know, if I walked in and said, oh, I'm Pastor John, well, then there's an expectation that comes with that because there's some rules and some things that people have in their mind of what a pastor is. But I'm like, no, I'm just John. I'm just I'm just here to serve. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to be as obedient as I can. And I'm going to be as good of a steward with what God has entrusted me with my family, with my resources and everything like that. And I like to have fun. I'm a, I like to enjoy life and give everything that I have to it. And that's really who I can say that I am today. And it, it's the most defining thing. And so I'm like, anybody else who feels that same way that goes, you know what, I'm that too, then we're family. <laughs> and that's how I look like it. And so I said, I have a really big family now. So um, that's really kind of who I am. I hope that answered that question. Yes. Um, it's, it's the most transparent answer that I have for it. But it, it's where I find my most joy at. Um, I don't find my joy in my ethnicity. I don't find my joy in what I did for work. I don't find my joy in my um, economic status. I find my joy in in that transparency of like, you know what? Hey, if there's anybody else that that really loves God and really loves serving people, then hey, then we're family. That's where I find my joy at. Awesome. Thank you for being so transparent and honest uh, with us, the audience, and now keeping it real to yourself, right? Little That's John? right. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, is there anything, anything, uh, any last words that you would like to share with the audience? Um, you know what? If you, the one last word I would say with anybody, if you can't answer to yourself, I know what my identity is, then start having that conversation with God. You know, I'm not going to tell you to go anywhere. It's not, a, it's not a conversation you have with anybody else. You ask God, who am I? God, who did you want me to be? That's where my journey started. And uh, God, he met me there and he started explaining to me who I was. Changed my life forever. Well, there you have it, guys. Pastor John Matthews here in Ryan Real. And again, if you'd like to connect with me, you have any questions, any comments, uh, you can find me on Instagram at MiguelAquino01, or you can send me an email, luismedw at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. This has been Raw and Real with real people and real life stories. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember this. You can spend your life any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. Spend it wisely. <laughs>